Lois Lowry is a writer who has been a winner of the prestigious Newbery Medal, awarded each year to the author of the most distinguished contribution to American literature for children. Her honored book is The Giver. And as we learn from the International Literacy Association, The Giver is a science fiction novel in the mode of Orwell's 1984, written for 11- and 12-year-olds. The story is told from the point of view of almost 12-year-old Jonas, who is preparing himself for a ritual in which he will learn his lifetime assignment. To his surprise, Jonas is selected to be the receiver, the key figure in the community who becomes the repository for the otherwise lost history and memories of the group. This group consciousness is transmitted to the receiver by the oldest and wisest of the elders known as the giver. For our purposes today, there is a life-changing scene for Jonas when he is playing catch with a friend and the apple they're tossing changes color. And it is an apple that author Lowry chooses. Educator David Morrison explains in E-Notes, in The Giver, Jonas's experiences of the red apple, the faces in the crowd, and Fiona's hair give him a privileged insight into another world, a world that's vibrant, exciting, and of course, colorful. Nothing could be further removed from the drab, monotone society in which Jonas currently lives. In the dystopian world that he inhabits, sameness is the norm, a standard imposed to eliminate conflict. As the receiver of memory, Jonas is able to go beyond sameness and behold a world of diversity, as he sees manifested in the red apple, the faces in the crowd, and in the change in Fiona's hair. In relating this experience to the giver, Jonas becomes frustrated. He can't quite describe exactly what it is that he saw. All he can say in relation to Fiona's hair is that it changed. He doesn't know how, and he doesn't know why. It's no accident that all of the objects that Jonas sees in these memories are red. Red is the color of passion, the color of love, two qualities that are notable by their absence from the society in which he lives. Jonas may not as yet be able to discern the full significance of his memories, but for now at least, they've shown him that another world is possible, a world characterized by diversity, individuality, and spontaneity. In an interview, meanwhile, with the author in The Reading Teacher, Lois Lowry was asked, The picture on the book's dust jacket is an intriguing one. Is the man someone you know? Lowry answers, I took that photograph in 1979 while I was working for a magazine which sent me to interview and photograph this man, a painter. While I wrote about him, we talked about color and form, perspective and composition in painting. I've always felt that I have a good visual sense, but it became clear to me that he saw things that I didn't. I was grateful because he enabled me to see things differently. That aspect of someone giving me color went into the writing of the book. Reading teacher asks, was the image of the painter's face with you as you wrote? And Lowry answers, I think it probably was. 
I'd kept this particular photograph through many moves, and it's often hung above my desk. The painter died some years after I photographed and interviewed him, and during the last five years of his life, he was blind. That element also went into the writing of the giver in a subconscious way. The fact that he went blind, lost it all, after all he had given the world words of author Lois Lowry in an interview with the reading teacher the year she won the Newbery Medal. We're about to meet an artist, a colorful artist in every way, who has set down some thoughts about her upcoming exhibition at the Hazleton Art League titled Paradise Found, Revisioning the Garden of Earthly Delights. She writes, let's be real, the paradise we live in is virtually lost if we don't change hard now to save it. This weighs on my mind so intensely every day that I'm determined to try to show my fellow humans what paradise can be found here if we would only see it, if we'd only embrace our Mother Earth and each other with the love, respect, and care they deserve. My humble attempt is what you see in this exhibit. words of Elizabeth Tilly of Stroudsburg. We know her as Liz Tilly. She's sometimes called Lizzie Tilly, too, and she works here at WVIA as a corporate sponsorship representative. Liz Tilly came down the hall to the radio studios to talk with us about her life in art and the show that opens in Hazleton this Friday with an artist's reception. First, we learned about her discoveries in preparing for the exhibit. I realized as I was thinking about composing this show, curating this show, that over the last 20 years, as I did an inventory of what I had, that so many of the works related to this theme that I'm so concerned with now. And, you know, the Art League never indicated I needed a theme. They simply said, can you fill this large space? (laughs) And I said, oh, yes, I definitely can. And I started out, in my younger days with just fabric. Uh, When I was a kid, I was very interested in drawing, but I was afraid to move into painting. It's been a progression of confidence. So I did a lot of sketching and charcoal work, and I did a lot of plein air. When I lived in London, I'd go to the parks on the weekends and draw people and things that were happening there and gardens, but I was afraid to apply color. And then my first painting was when my kids were probably a little bit older that they could be fending for themselves more. And I started to have a little bit more time to myself and I started large. (laughs) I had a canvas eight by eight I had to strap it to the top of my car to get it home. And the first thing I did was I called it the Old World Yaya Sisterhood. And it's a portrait of four old Italian ladies from a photograph that my brother-in-law brought home from Sicily from a visit to Sicily that was just a tiny little black and white. And something about their faces and their aspects just fascinated me. And I had read that book. I'm often influenced by what I'm reading. And in fact, I went to a book club meeting. We read a sort of a feminist novel. And they said, when did you start thinking about these themes? 
And I said, I guess it was in college when I took a women's studies course. And so that opened my eyes and has stuck with me throughout my life. And I was living quite a conventional life as a wife and mother while just exploring this whole other area. And it started to come out in my art. And I put that giant painting up in my home because it represented to me the companionship of women. They have their arms around each other. And one is obviously a widow in black. And they look rather dour and like life has been beating down on them, but yet they are very connected and they're holding each other up. And they're also comfortable in themselves. They're in their slippers. So that was the first thing I ever used color and paint. And I was afraid of oil paint. I did acrylics. And then when I realized, oh, I can do this, and this is really fun, I, I did also get interested in quilting and using fabric for my colors. And I was at a point in my life when, you know, I was making baby quilts and I was making wedding quilts for my nieces and things like that. So I was always, it was more of a service thing, how to gift someone else some love and explored things that way. So, so the Tree of Life was one of the first quilts I did an original design for. And my daughter started in as a pianist. She's now a harpist as well. But the Tree of Life that I'll be showing in, the, in this show has piano keys going up the tree. And it's in a garden with butterflies and flowers. And it's very bright and happy. And so when I'm thinking about feminism, I'm thinking about women's relationships. I'm thinking about what's happening in the world today. I'm thinking about my concerns about the environment, and I'm looking back at the work that I've done. I realized it's almost a retrospective of, of all these related ideas. And the chance to do it, you know, usually you're invited to do a small show, and this is really the biggest thing other than my own gallery. I've had a few of my own properties and art galleries, but I was always giving it to other people. <laughs> so this is really an, an exciting thing for me to be able to just go crazy. And, and I've uh, broken everything down into groupings that are on the same theme. So I made myself a narrative for the artist talk, which helps me organize and curate. So I had done a show with a group called Love and Peace. In fact, I believe you spoke to them when we did that. And that's what led to the Hazelton show because we took it to Hazelton and they saw my work and then invited me. And so I started thinking about Love and Peace, which then led to hope. And so that's what this show is about. And for Love and Peace show, I did a diptych of Adam and Eve. Eve uh, has the background, make love. And Adam's portrait has a background, not war. And to me, that sparked this whole other entry into the idea of the creation myths. You know, I was reading Joseph Campbell. I was rereading Women Who Run With the Wolves. Joseph Campbell and Clarissa Pinkola Estes each 
write about myths and storytelling and tales. Yeah. I actually have made a a sign for my food table for the opening that's called Food for Thought. And I have all the books that have recently influenced me. Cassandra Speaks is one. Glennon Doyle's Untamed. You know, my reading always leads my art. I was I was an English lit major and a creative writer before I was an artist, really, or concurrently, I guess. And I've sort of gotten away from the writing to an extent, gone into more visual representations of these ideas. I, I'm a visual person, and I think sometimes, just as in churches with the stained glass windows, the image is a little bit more powerful for those who, I mean, I feel like some of that is lost on on the average person where they may come and see an image and it resonates in a way that's different. The idea, too, Liz, about bringing color into your work, what did that open up for you? What did color bring to the desire you have to touch us as viewers? Uh, You know me, I dress very colorfully, and I'm very interested in fashion and clothing, and my paint colors in my home are bright. And it it really was kind of an awakening. And another awakening that I had more recently, I I had painted for many, many years in acrylics. Watercolor was never my thing because it was a little too soft for me and small. I like to paint large. And just recently, honestly, in the last six months or in the past year, I finally tried to paint with oils because I had a crazy idea that, well, I wasn't trained in art school and oils are scary. That's like museum pieces. And, you know, I'm just this, I'm just me and that's not for me. And all I did was buy some paint and start using it. And I thought, I've been missing out on this all these years from some kind of ridiculous idea because they're so much easier to work with and the results are better. And I'm just loving, absolutely just crazy about painting with oils. And, you know, so it looks like a progression. And then I was very pleased. I just started showing in the last few years at the Pocono Arts Council in their shows and they usually have a theme, so you can just put one one or two pieces in. But annually, they have a member show. And I decided to put my first big oil painting in the member show. And it won first place in oils. And I was especially gratified because the judge was a visiting professor at ESU from Brazil. And that was just a bigger validation than I ever expected to have. And again, it was an older woman. The The subject of the painting was an older woman just resting on a garden bench with a wild garden around her. And she's got the little cat glasses and like a frumpy flowered dress. She's not, she's not a classic beauty, but there's that beauty in the life that she's lived. And that's what I saw in that very first acrylic painting. And it resonated with others, which made me excited. The Italian sisterhood you told us about earlier. Yeah. And the Tree of Life, then, as you suggested, you mentioned Genesis. 
tell us about the concept of a garden, the garden, in this show? Well, several of the pieces are women and children set in the garden. I love George O'Keefe, and I love all the artists who paint nature and landscapes and flowers, but that's not what I do. I, I'm a little bored by that. <laughs> I have done, you know, I have done a little of that, but I'm just trying to reach to bigger themes. But I did do a few, like a little girl with a, with a watering can, but then I also did some sort of apocalyptic things with the ship falling off the edge of the earth, and it's hard. There's such a, a wide range of things I'm showing. I had a painting in my office here that I took home to bring. It's called Joy, and it's really just giant abstract flowers just to show the joy that can be found in the garden. And the T.S. Eliot quote that really launched a lot of my ideas is this, the end of all of our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. So I'm distressed by what we've been doing to our environment, what's happened to the garden, how we've squandered it, how we've polluted it, how we haven't treasured it. And I think the only thing that's going to save us is if we can realize what we've lost and circle back and try to preserve it. It's an obvious concept, but it feels like so many people do not make this a priority including our our government. When you tell us that you've painted a child with a watering can or a woman on a garden bench, it sounds as if you are often drawn to creating images of humans and nature together. Absolutely. Right? That's exactly it, right. Because it's funny, another way I think about it, my mother was fascinated with angels and fairies. And I have some Celtic background in my heritage. And I realized, why Why do I think about fear? Why do I love images of fairies? I did a, a very large painting of, of a fairy that scared people because she's kind of dark and mysterious. But, you know, the veil is thin between heaven and earth in a garden. And it's a place beyond this world of strife and confusion and conflict that is so disturbing. And it's comforting to go there for me. And it's where fairies, where you can imagine that fairies are living a happy little existence <laughs> like in the beginning, right? With where they seem to exist and people think they're there. And so I go to that place for respite. And it's funny because Members of my family, friends that I have made here are from a different political perspective than I am, very far away from where I am. But I do have friends and I have family that where we come together and where we agree and where we find common ground is in the garden and in our love for nurturing things and respecting nature and trying to, you know, keep keep the garden alive in our in ourselves and on the outside too and the people that i love really the most are the ones who are nurturing when you go to a person's house and they have this incredibly beautiful garden full of colors and living things how can you not love 
who they are, because if that's what they want to spend their time producing, it just tells me something about their character. And I'm all for curling up with a book, too. But give me a garden and a book, and it's the best thing ever. And that's why I think the tree of knowledge was in a garden and put those two things together, and that's heaven. And if you can find that place of peace, you know, the world has always had strife and trouble, and it seems that people are really feeling a sense of dread about how how dire the situation does feel now. I mean, the climate is changing, and, you know, we go outside and there's smoke in the sky. The world's on fire. It's scary, but I'll never have a sense of hopelessness about that. And I think the people who are planting seeds and the little girls that are watering them with their watering can and the women that are sitting there on their garden bench being at peace, these are, these are the things that save us. And you told us also earlier that you had been working with fabrics. Will we see anything with your fabric work? Oh, yeah. I've, I thought that it would be very much fun to explore the Garden of Eden theme in a fashion show because I've given quite a few fashion shows before. I like to make clothes. I have a lot of fabric, and so I'll make some things from scratch, but I also like to repurpose. It's more sustainable. It's better for the environment. So I'm a thrift store freak, and I will scout out cool vintage stuff, and then I'll reimagine it and I did a women in history fashion show a few years ago and I had dance troops help me. This was when I had my own place. And so I thought, well, it would be fun to to try to do something with that again. So I also thought it would be a bit provocative and titillating to call it a fig leaf fashion show because that's the Garden of Eden. So I've made a a whole series of garments, quite a number, that are fun in that they're leafy. Let's say they're leafy and they're a little bit different. They're they're quite different. And I am showing my quilts as well. There's probably five or six art quilts and they're related to different themes. I made some fun. I've been reading about mushrooms in relation to the forests and trees and the networks of communication they set up and how cool that is because I went to Yosemite two years ago and saw the big, that had been a lifelong dream to see the sequoias and I saw a mother, a mother tree that just blew me away. It had a big heart in the middle. I, I just was, I just forests thrill me. So I made mushroom hats with paper mache, and those are going to be a lot of fun, and some flower hats. And everyone who comes to the opening is invited to wear a garden hat. It will be a garden party. And my daughter is coming from D.C., and she she is a harpist, um, trained at Peabody Conservatory, so she's the real deal. And she's doing me the favor of coming and her name is Zoe, which was chosen because it means life in Greek. And Eve is life. Zoe and Eve are identical names. So that's kind of cool. I didn't think about that until today, actually. But she's my my big expression of life. And the, the rest of the show is my expression of my joy in life in the garden. So I'm going to be emotional about it, I think. 
And she's also going to have my first grandchild in September 1st, probably about then. So she's about to increase life. And so that's something that I need to have hope about. I can't be thinking that the world is ending when I have a new generation beginning of, of my family. And you can't, you can't have children unless you have hope for the future. So it all ties in together. Artist Elizabeth Tilly of Stroudsburg speaking with us about the solo exhibition of her work that will open in Hazleton this Friday, August 4th, with an artist's reception from 6 to 9 p.m. and party hats, garden party hats if you choose. That's the Hayden Family Center for the Arts, and that's the Hazleton Art League's home, 31 West Broad Street in downtown Hazleton. There will be an artist talk on Sunday, August 6th, this Sunday, from 1 to 3 p.m., And then to close, there will be an acoustic jam there at the center, August 27th, 1 to 3 in the afternoon. So the show runs August 4th through August 27th at the Hazleton Art League, 31 West Broad Street. And the show is titled Paradise Found, Revisioning the Garden of Earthly Delights, August 4th through the 27th, with an opening reception this Friday, August 4th, from 6 to 9 p.m. There's no charge. For more information on the web, hazeltonartleague.org slash back hyphen to hyphen the hyphen garden. hazeltonartleague.org slash back hyphen to hyphen the garden. Back to the garden. And we have the pleasure of working with Liz Tilly, or Lizzie Tilly, and she works at WVIA as a corporate sponsorship representative. And you can imagine from hearing her speak about her presence and her passion and her colorful being. And we're very fortunate, and we're glad to have had that conversation to share with you in anticipation of the opening of this solo show in Hazleton at the Art League, 31 West Broad Street, Opening from 6 to 9 this Friday, hazeltonartleague.org slash back hyphen to hyphen the hyphen garden.